Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks. We have the US Open on the horizon, but before then, and all the daily tennis podcasts that we'll be bringing you over the course of the fortnight, we have a very special big interview guest today on a special separate show. And it is Larry Stefanki, who was a player. Uh, back in the day, but he was also an absolutely fantastic coach. Coached John McEnroe in the sort of latter stages of his career, helped him to a, a Wimbledon semi-final. He coached Marcelo Rios to world number one, Evgeny Kofaldikov to world number one. He was in the corner of Tim Henman and Fernando Gonzalez, and you'll probably remember most recently Andy Roddick, of course, and that incredible tw- 2009 Wimbledon final. He also had a couple of chances to coach Andy Murray, which he decided not to take, and Basically, we've spent the the hour and a quarter of this interview talking about all of that. I, I personally think Larry Stefanki is one of the most fascinating people and entertaining people to listen to in the sport of tennis that I've ever come across. And I've wanted to do this interview for years. It's one of those that... I didn't really know whether he would really remember me particularly. I, I worked with him but you're going back 20 years ago when I was on the ATP uh, circuit as a communications manager. But I knew, I did know him a bit, and I hoped that he would agree to do this interview. So what I did is I got in touch with a guy called Paul Little, who's um, somebody on Andy Roddick's team and still a good friend of his today, still works with him today, and, and is somebody that, that I've got to know pretty well, and just asked him if he wouldn't mind asking Larry for his phone number and see if he might might do this interview and then it was just a question of hoping that he answered his phone yes may i help you hello larry how you doing what's going on (laughs) very good to hear your voice thanks for making the time to do this uh, given i know you like it about as much as root canal work well, I don't usually do these kind of things, David, but we go back a long way. Um, uh, when did you you were you were with the ATP for a little while, weren't you? Oh yeah, about four years. Um, That's what I thought. I remember your first day. I think coming into the locker room, <laughs> it was a, <laughs> it was a uh, interesting um, 
experiment, I would say, for you coming in there and, and dealing with those guys in the in the locker room after uh, losing matches and stuff. I think to you get them to do. I, th- I would say you've you've uh, you've put that very succinctly and very correctly, and and I think yeah. if if um, if I put it this way, um, my time in the role of ATP communications manager started with your time with Marcelo Rios. That's uh, what hit my hit me right in between my forehead. I really called when I saw your picture. <laughs> Well, the ha- first time you came in and Marcelo goes, get, I'm not talking, get this guy out of here. And then I had to go, okay, listen, Joker, get, get up, do your deal. Otherwise you're going to get fined. And Marcelo didn't like the, like delve in his pocket to have to pay fines. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I remember your face coming in there having to deal with that guy. Yes. Well, wh- yeah. let's start with that. What was that guy like to deal with? Oh, uh, you know, Marcelo uh, was fine. I never had a problem uh, with Marcelo. Um, personally, uh, how we got along, uh, it was right after Johnny Mack, the two years with Johnny Mack at the end of his career. Uh, Marcelo was the number one ranked junior. He had, luckily he had lost nine first rounds. Um, they had given him wild cards like most of the young, um, top, you know, juniors in the world get. And, um, he was not on a good, um, good avenue uh, moving forward as a pro. So when he first came out, uh, we had our little incidents uh, early on, and he kind of got my drift. Uh, luckily, Marcelo uh, hadn't made any money or felt like he was uh, in, in, in a power position. And so he was all ears, and uh, we, we, you know, I let, we went, were together for like three and a half years, and, you know, uh, people I said, how do you deal with him? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty uh, straightforward. Um, I kind of speak my own mind. He knew where I was coming from. Um, probably, you know, knowing that, you know, dealing with Johnny Mack um, and coaching him for that, that that's, you know, period of time, he he probably knew that, you know, if you can, you know, get along with Johnny, you can you definitely uh, get along with with me probably, you know, and, and he knew I was a tough guy and I just wasn't going to you know, to come to his, you know, whims, so to speak, and do it his way. Because I knew his way wasn't going to work. Yeah, but, um, I mean, you know, at the, yeah. three and a half years, that, that is quite yeah. a long time. And I mean, you, you, yeah. you're quite right. I, I, I think I probably did ask you back then, how do I deal with this guy? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and there's not, you know, you have to be, with, 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 if you look at certain personalities, um, and they have a few of them today on the tour, um, I would deal with with the situation a lot differently. Um, the problem is, you know, David, is that these guys make so much money so quickly. Marcelo had made no money. He, he, he had no ranking. He was ranked 128 in the world when I started with him. He went all the way to one. So we had a long track record. And uh, so when you're in the trenches and you build something from an early age and you make it to the top, um, there's, a, there's a definite um, respect factor and uh, in it for – you know, the long haul and, uh, you know, dealing with that, it was easier for me. Um, that nowadays it's a little bit more different, you know, difficult because, uh, um, they, they, they feel like, I think their bank account, um, uh, dictates, uh, their, their power position, um, in the sport. And, uh, that's not how, where I'm coming from. I look at, you know, what you've done, what you've accomplished, how many titles you've won. I could, I could care less about how much money you have in their, in your bank account. And that seems to be the uh, flavor of the the month at the moment. Everyone, all they talk, you know, about why they play and this and that. But I come from old school uh, mentality. 
Um, show me something you, you know, you can win. And that was even the, the falling out with Marcelo is, you know, he got to one in the world and, you know, he didn't like listening to what I had to say, but I said, listen, when it's all over, done and said, they're going to ask you, what'd you win? Not how much money you have in your bank account. And so that's where I come from. And, uh, that didn't resonate very well with him. What, what were, what were that, you saying with him back then at that point? Cause I mean, three and a half years, you got to world number one. I'll, I'll never yeah. forget the performance he put in against Agassi in that Miami final yeah. to get him to number one. Then he had that incredible yep. clay court season and he, and yet he didn't win the French, but I mean, what was it that you wanted from him or said to him that, that he wasn't doing? With Marcelo, he, he he didn't really quite get the drift. He ticked on a, a little different. He didn't. He wasn't a great competitor. He was an artist. Um, he didn't really like to uh, get really really competitive, like an Andy Roddick or a Kafelnikov. His mentality was: if it came to me, he could he could make people look very foolish. Um, um, and I think you know maybe that's where you know I helped him a little bit um, to try to get um, the competitiveness to uh, be a competitor first sort of thing with, with your talent. Like he had the same, you know, skill set like Johnny Mac, but Johnny Mac was a fierce competitor. So my, my job was really trying to get him to compete at the highest level as a competitor and use his artistic, you know, tennis talents, which he was born with a gift. I mean, two guys, in my opinion, that I've seen that were born with, it was Marcelo and Johnny that it, in, in my, you know, 30, 40 years of uh, being around tennis, those two guys, we're just, they picked up the rack and they could hit it anywhere on the court. They could absorb speed. They could turn velocity on. And, uh, but Marcelo was an interesting cat because, uh, he was very, very IQ smart, very gifted, um, not disciplined. And so that's where I kind of came in with my, you know, more my mentality, a working class guy, um, and tried to bring in those, uh, facets into his game. Did, uh, I remember back then when, when I was in that role, there was a lot of, discussion about that article in Sports Illustrated, which was front page headlined the most hated man in tennis. Did did we did we get him wrong? Did we misunderstand Marcelo Rios? No, he was not he was he, he you know he wanted it his way. Uh only his way and nothing but his way. And it, and life doesn't work that way. Um in my opinion. And uh you know it it's it it there's gonna be another number one. There's gonna gonna be another uh great player and don't respect disrespect the game um i don't think he really uh quite got the drift that um there were a lot of guys that paved the way before him and he didn't really respect the game um enough and that's why you know he was still the youngest number one at 21 and a half to this day um and uh, his career ended very abruptly after that uh he just didn't really enjoy um the game of tennis i don't think he he did he wasn't in love with it and uh so constantly he played for another reason whether or not it be for the money or for whatever it what might be but so uh, i don't think we got it wrong um he made his bed i mean i like i always say you have a track record let's go down your track record and see you know what you've done from all the way through and how you've responded and how you you know address pressure uh, negative things that happen in your life. And then let's see how you respond. And then we can look at your track record and see, I don't think we got it wrong. I think he, he, he did exactly what he wanted to do. Um, and it, and it went away real quick. That was the disappointing thing. Cause he could have been around a long time if, if he would have, uh, you know, played for, it had the right people around him. Um, 
You know, uh, he, he fired me actually when he was one in the world. And, uh, you know, it kind of went south for him real quick after that. But he didn't realize he needed somebody that um, had some structure and that, that could tell him the truth on a daily basis. Um, and, uh, you know, consequently, you know, he kind of uh, went away very quick, fa- faster than any number one ever. That, 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 must, I can that must have been a, a, a real shock to you yeah. to be told, sorry, Larry, uh, I'm going somewhere. I think I think it was I'm going in a different direction, you said. That's exactly right. You hit it right on the head. He called me and then he didn't want to talk to me. And I said, if you don't call me, um, his agent, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to track you down. And um, he called me about an hour later because he knows my personality. Um, cause we had three and a half years. He just said, I'm tired of hearing your, um, your, 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 your stick. I'll say that in a nice way. And, um, I want to go in another direction. And I said, like I said, hey, dude, do you know, do you know what other direction is when you're one? There's only one direction you're going. And that was pr- basically the last conversation. I never said another word to him after that. And to this day, by the way, you've never and spoken that's how to it him kind since. Of ended. No. Wow. I've saw him. I just, I was actually just down in Chile, uh, a month ago. First time, and um, I didn't, you know, I was with uh, Fernando Gonzalez, and I was with a guy by the name of Horacio Mata, and we went down there in a coaching capacity and with all the juniors and everything for eight days, and it was really enjoyable. He was in town, I guess, but he didn't, he didn't really have the, uh, you know, he knew he it was in the, it was fairly large in the press, but he didn't show up, so I haven't seen him um, for many, many years, and uh, but even when I, you know, started with. Uh, uh, Kafelnikov afterwards, I'd see him in the locker room. I never said another word to him. No, I don't have nothing to say. You said it all, you know, when, when, when he, when he just said, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to hear anything out of your mouth anymore. So uh, I said, okay. It's kind of sad, but that's the way, way life it? works. Yeah. It you, works that way sometimes, David. When you consider what you, what you achieved together. And, yes. yet, and yet I suppose, I mean, I think whenever we have one of the debates, we have it a lot on this this podcast, who's the greatest player never to win a slam. He, he is always yes. right at the front of the conversation. I imagine Gotta be. that must be a must have been a source of frustration for you knowing what, what he could do with a racket. Absolutely. Because let's face it, he had just become number one when he disconnected. So he had not even started. I mean, in my opinion, being 21, David, and just being becoming, you know, number one in the world, you're not even starting. I mean, okay, so he won a ton of Master Series and Finals of the Australian, you know, and got tuned up by Corda, semi not trying, and and you know those kind of things. Um, I had I felt in my heart that he is just starting, okay, and he could actually win a bunch, okay, and he went the other direction. He didn't really want to take on that responsibility of being a great player. There's a big difference. Guys either relish the fact that they're in this position and they want to take on the challenge of winning majors because that's what you're going to stand on, or you're playing for another reason, whether or not be cash, you know, you know, social media or whatever it might be. I don't know, exposure, I don't know, whatever you want. But I come from the old school kind of you're playing to win majors, and that's what it's all about. And the money is the caboose in the in the wagon in the in the train. That's uh, what I was, you know, taught. And I mean, elsewhere in, in your career, I mean, look, you, you you helped the guy get to world number one. So it's not it's not like it, it didn't work. Generally, it worked pretty well. But yeah, when I, when you think of what you went on to do with, say, Kafelnikov, who who not only got to world number one, but he also won the Australian Open. He won Olympic gold. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel that? 
a guy like he and and certainly Andy Roddick. I, I I always look at Andy Roddick, and some people sometimes quote his stats. And obviously, the era he was in, I always feel like he wrung out the very last drop of his potential in his career. Andy Roddick. I don't know, I don't know what you think. What about Kafelnikov? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, between Kafelnikov and Andy were very similar. By the way, um, not born with a lot of gifts, working class. Very, very tough competitors, did not like losing, and they prepared. They, were, they, they, they never left a, a stone unturned in the sense of preparing to win majors. That was their gig. That's what they wanted to do. I mean, and, and, and they, both of them came from, from, you know, not a lot of money, not, you know, working class upbringing, um, and, and they knew they had to do the extra mile, so to speak. They were, they were workhorses. And I love um, athletes that actually, like you say, wrung every ounce of their potential. Okay, because they didn't—they were born with the, you know, the the Monfils, Rios, Mac gifts. These were more like Jimmy Connors types, where you're not born with a lot of athletic gifts in your toolbox. So you got to work harder. The David Ferrers. I mean, I'm just naming just a few that really I have a lot of respect for because they maximize their potential. And, and I, I have way more respect for that rather than, you know, any other, other thing you're doing the best you could possibly do, you know, and Andy and, and, and Yevi, they were both that it came from that, you know, cloth so to speak and so i respect that more but you hit it right on the head andy andy definitely got the most out of his uh potential his game and uh you know i don't care about all the stats the guy had a great career and he maximized everything he could and he gave his whole body you know to that cause so so when you come and and coach Yevgeny Kofelnikov, who is such a different player in terms of his gifts to Marcelo Rios and John Macchino, who you'd coached previously, what what do you go in there and 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 set up? Do you have do you have to approach it differently as a coach? Always. It depends their style. Um you sit down and and you try to uh formulate a plan on the way you want to play, what's holding you back. Yevi Yevi might go down as one of um Okay, he he was you knew what you were going to get when you showed up every day. He was a great returner. He was on the same level as somebody like Connors or Agassi, Yevgeny, uh now Banyan. I mean great returners of the uh, of the tennis ball. So you knew that you you know you and and you know beating guys like uh Krychek with you know 59 aces at the US Open in the quarterfinals and winning 7-6 in the fifth. Things like that. Yevgeny was that good of a returner. Um so you knew what you were going to get, but maybe the worst server <laughs> of any number one maybe ever. I'm just trying to think. I mean, you could go – I'm a Juan Carlos. I mean, he – but he could – I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking Yevi's serve was not something he could use as an offensive weapon. So he knew that he had to be like a machine. So every individual I coach, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm looking at it as a, what are your assets? What are your negatives? We're going to focus in on the negatives. We're going to get a lot fitter than you think you're going to – you are. You think you're fit, you're not fit. Okay, most of these guys, they all think they're really, really fit. Um, that's why you mentioned someone like, you know, an Andy or a Kafelnikov or David Ferrer. Um, you know, fitness is a huge part of this game. Uh, it's it's definitely put on the back burner uh, because it is so hard. Um, the Borgs, the Nadals. I mean, you can look at guys that don't show when they show up. You, you have a, you have a, a weapon, and that's your fitness. And something you can fall back on. And if you, d- you don't have that, 
Then you can't play defense. You can't hang around. You can't wait for something good to happen because you know you're tired and you're, and you're dead. Where you see other guys where you're thinking, oh, wow. I mean, in, in the past, that's that was a huge asset in our game. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's how I go about dissecting each player. Um, and Andy said something even in the Hall of Fame. He said, Larry um, has the ability to kind of see what they – do very, very well and what they don't do very well and tries to focus on the things they don't do very well to get them to become a little bit better. And it's not going to happen, you know, in big leaps and bounds, but that's what you want to focus on, David. You don't want to, that would be like me taking, you know, Andy serves. Oh, it's just not quite good enough. You know, it's like, wait a second. Or Fernando Gonzalez's forehand, greatest forehand I've ever seen. What he could do with the ball in space, whether it be high ball, low ball. And you're going to, no, 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 no. He couldn't, he couldn't hit the ball cross court. So if you can't hit the ball cross court, you got a lot of work to do, okay, off the backhand side, and and that's what I would do. I would I, that's how I view it because as a player, ex player, um, that's how I wanted. Uh, I saw the game. If I had a hole or something that was uh, not up to snuff at a, at a very high level, I wanted. I had some work to do, and I was willing to go out and put time in um, to get that right and to be to improve. That's what it's all about. And it to was be multifaceted. It was pretty instant mm-hmm. with Kafelnikov. When you yeah. when you met him, I mean, how well did you know him? The reason I ask, I mean, you, you, you we talk about that when my sort of uh, initiation into the tennis tour, and I happened to be coming along uh, a pasty waist, a pasty white kind of British lad straight out of university <laughs> trying to deal with Marcelo Rios yeah. and Yevgeny yeah. Kafelnikov, who yeah. I think to this day are two of the most difficult characters I've ever dealt with um, in, in the tennis world. What, what, what was he like? Yevi and I um, basically had very uh, common grounds. Um, we come from two different parts of the planet, uh, two different cultures, he came from nothing, dude. He came from outside a little town in Sochi. Um, I just, you know, did the Hall of Fame with him, and I hadn't seen him in four years, and we spent three and a half days together, and it was it was great. But we, we reminisced a lot from the first time we met to how he viewed things. Yet Yevi was a a very straightforward cat, um, and 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 you know, my speech kind of got caught, you know, cut off, and I had to cut off a few pages of the thing because. Uh, you know, it kind of r- ran a little bit long with old Mary Pierce and Volatari. But um, I, one thing I did say about Yevi, he didn't like the media very much. He didn't like social media. He didn't like to toot his own horn. He wanted his record to stand on its own. He said, and we used to talk about that a lot. I said, Pards, why do you have to be, and Pards means partner. We used to call each other that. I said, why are you so difficult with the press? He goes, I want my record to stand on its own, Larry. I don't want to talk about my record. I don't want to talk. Let them talk about what they just saw. Okay. I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to win, you know, some majors. I ended up winning the gold medal, got the number one, won the Davis cup, did all these things. Won, you know, 20, you know, six tournaments and 27 doubles. The last guy to win singles and doubles, you know, in, 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 in 96. And, and, you know, I want that to stand on its own. And so for me, David, um, I really respect that viewpoint. And that's why guys like yourself in the media, he really, he didn't have any common ground at all. Um, I come from more, you know, a football background and, you know, the athletic, you know, preparation and the, comp- com- you know, the competition is what the Evie wanted to stand on and his results. So he was not difficult at all. Yevgeny and I, um, he spoke, you know, English is, you know, was very good. 
um, obviously, but he's coming from Russia, so it's is 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 you know, he's not as good now after you know seeing him you know in Newport. But you know, we we had a lot of similarities on how to go about being a great player and sustaining that level of play day in, week in, and week out. And 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 Roddick has the same mentality, you know. And a lot has to do, you know. But everyone, athletes are very, um, you know, single minded. Um, they have their way about them. They don't like to get out of their routine. They put a lot into the preparation of things. But like you said, Yevi could be difficult with, with, with the press as well as Marcelo, as well as Johnny Mack, even though he is Mr. Media now. Um, he was no angel um, by any means. And uh, so, you know, you, tennis is, is very selfish. And you get to where you're so focused in on, you know, what you have to get done to, to, to be in contention to win major championships. Um, everybody else is like, you know, second, third, fourth row in the theater, so to speak. You know, they have no time for them. It's almost like it's a lot of work for them because they're so focused on having to do the work to get in. And it takes a lot of energy to do that, David. So the, the great ones, that's what they do um, usually. Um, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I think you can kind of, you know, put it to a side and, and handle your duties because the game does give you an awful lot. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, I have to say all three of those, I mean, e even Marcelo, when he jo joined the champions tour briefly, I, I actually found him okay company. And, and, That's and, right. and Kafelnikov these days is actually, I, I really, he's really quite nice. And he, and he, he, <laughs> he, he, yeah. he, he helped me out with a number for, um, I interviewed Andre Medvedev uh, a couple of months ago, yeah. or one of my team. Mr. Did, and Potato Head. <laughs> That's what we used to call him, Mr. Potato Head. And Kafelnikov was straight back with a number to help me out. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't, yeah. couldn't be too quick to help out. So, um, Yevi likes to be included, and that's the beautiful thing about him. He is a very, very nice guy. He is. He just a little misunderstood and a little shy, and he just he's not outspoken. Hey, listen, I was talking with someone even on the Hall of Fame. He didn't even cook. when he won the French Open. He didn't go to the party afterwards. And I drove him to the airport right after he won the Australian. I went to the party till three in the morning. Yevi got on the on, the, on his private plane and flew back to uh, Karlsruhe. He said, "I don't need parties. I I got I got another." T That's how his he didn't like to celebrate. He didn't like notoriety. He's he's very kind of almost introvert. He liked to be kind of absorbent himself. He would you know say parts. We did it. Blah blah blah. And and that was it, David. He 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 didn't like hoopla, and I'm I'm a little bit different. When you work that hard to you know attain something that actually comes to fruition, not many people. I mean, get an opportunity, um, and that's kind of the sad thing with Marcelo. Even when he got to number one, he was looking at a whole different angle than I was, um, and that probably didn't uh, sit very well with him. But yeah, he's a great guy. He 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 now opening up because that you're not behind the eight ball, you know, because every week. David, you have this in the old days, not so much now. I don't think they have the mentality. It, it bought Roddick's one saying was, Larry, I don't lose to guys rank lower than me. So get that through your head. And so, oh, I said, okay, we're going to that level. We're going to Johnny Max level. Okay. I said, and I like that. I love that challenge. Yevi was the same way. I don't lose to these guys ranked below me. Nowadays, they don't really do that. And that's kind of, you know, this game is a tough, physical mental game and uh i love guys like that and I've, I've had a lot of difficult guys like that but i've always um you know admired guys that'll take on that responsibility because every week 
They're trying to prepare for another event, trying to get ready because I'm not. I, I got. I got to win this next event. That's. It was always about that. And it's never. It's never ending. So you either have to deal with that um, in whatever and make it fun, which it is because hard work can be a lot of fun and it kind of grows on you. And uh, you know, and then you get used to you know the success and 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 being able to uh, match, you know back that up week in week out. You uh, you couldn't have gone from three more different characters than John Makin and Marcelo Rios and Yevgeny Kafelnikov to the next man you coached, Tim Henman. Yes. Who, I, I, I mean, this is a conversation you will not remember. Um, but I remember sitting in, I think, St. Poulton with you in about 98 or 99. And um, mm-hmm. it was in a, in a cafeteria. And we were watching Henman and reading. I think you were reading a column about Henman in, in the British papers. And you were you were quite animated about the fact that he need, needed to stop hanging around with Pete Sampras and hitting big forehands, and he needed to play like Stefan Edberg, um, like the old school servant volleyers. And then yes. I think that that was about two years earlier. And then about two or three years later, you, you ended up coaching Tim. Um, d- did you? Is that what you then tried to instill when you did take over? Um. Tim was probably one of the most gifted athletes ever to pick up a tennis racket. I don't know people that really don't understand what he could do, you know, when um, he played squash. He was pretty funny. He goes, I quit squash at 14, Larry, because there wasn't a guy in England that could give me any con- competition. So I played golf. And and then and he's still like a, a plus two handicap. I mean, he's a phenomenally gifted. I mean, what he could do, I called him slinky. Because even though he was like six one, he had like – arms like six, four, and he played unbelievable defense, unbelievable ball control. Um, but Tim wanted to play like everybody and see, that's a problem. I don't, I don't buy into the fact that I want to do a little bit of everybody. I want to play the big four and I want to hit the big sub, but he could, he, he was a master of mimicking people too, Henners and visually, um, you know, Henners was such a nice individual um, and to keep him on point, so to speak, was very difficult. We would play golf sometimes. I call it, you're a 13-hole player because he'd be like two under after 13. And then the last five holes, he'd fall asleep and, and, and shoot, you know, four over. And I said, that was a little bit like his tennis game. And, and it, for him to stay on point over X amount of time was always the most difficult thing for Henners. But when it came to just straight athleticism, and you talk about a guy putting in the hard mile, he he would cross train and he would do things after practice on the treadmill that guys today would like look and go, well, that guy's nuts. I mean, this guy was really committed to the physical part of the game. He had a, you know, uh, I remember going in Queens, the bottom, getting on a treadmill at like, I don't know, I, I don't know what even the degree of incline was him doing sprints. And, and after, after matches, um, this guy was, I called him a racehorse. I mean, he could absolutely motor, motor. but Henner's, um, you know, I, I really, I really felt that I remember him playing in the finals of Basel against Fetter, and it was like Fetter's second or third final there in his hometown. He walked to, from his house to the courts, okay, and and he beat him three straight sets, best of five final in that day, and his mom calling me up, he goes that, and and he chipped and charged, served and volleyed took the ball on the rise and literally took every bit of time away from Federer. He didn't even know Federer didn't know what was going on. And I'm sure, and his mom called me after he said, that's the best Tim has ever played. 
and maybe the best he'll ever play in his life. I said, I think Tim can play like that every day of his life. And, and uh, it really never continued after that point in the sense of that standard. Um, he, he did very well, you know, to certain points, but a lot of time, you know, you, sometimes you have to be very, very, um, decisive in the way you want to go out to, to win major championships. I was going to tell a story with Yevi before the finals of the Australian. He plays, um, Enquist in the finals and, and I wasn't allowed to, to tell the story because of my time got you know, taken away from me at the Hall of Fame. But he said, Larry, I went in there. We we're talking about how to go about playing this guy. You've played him a bunch of time. You've had wars with him. You've lost once, won three, blah, blah, blah. And, and I say, he, he goes, he goes, parts. Let me tell you one thing. There is zero chance I lose today. That's Yevi in a nutshell. And then after the match, when he won, he looked at me, he goes, and, and, and a media guy like yourself came into the Australian and says, Yavi, we need to do media. He turned around, he goes, Pards, what'd I tell you? Zero chance. That's what Tim Henman needed when he got into some big matches, at, at, at whether or not it be at Wimbledon or wherever it might be. He didn't have that one little gear that, that kind of gets you over the hump. He, he's so single-minded. Roddick had that. There's a lot of guys that, you know, that I've coached Mac, we we have blinders on. There's no second option. I didn't. And you have used to say, I'm not here for second place. This is why I practice train to get opportunities like this. I'm not losing this match. He did it at the Olympics. I mean, when when, and you see that you go, Oh my goodness, this guy, he's not going to be denied today. It made me nervous, David. I would get more nervous. I never get more nervous than the player. I, I played. Usually when you go out there, it's your time now, dude. We've, we've done all the preparation. Now go out and do your stuff. Uh, Yevi made me nervous because he was almost overconfident, but he, he, you know, he, he backed it up. And Henners, I think, needed to have that inner belief uh, and sureness that the great ones possess where I'm, no, I'm not losing today. Were, were you, There's no were second you, option. Were you trying to instill that into Henry? Yes. I mean, I don't even know how you can do it, but is, is that what you were trying to do? Yes. I couldn't tell you some other stories, but I won't get into it. But uh, he was very concerned to what everyone else thought. I'll put it. I'll leave it at that. And that, and so that, and that's when that's when, as an athlete, you've got to have, you know, micro focus. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm I'm winning today, and that, that's that's why this game, this sport, is so great. Because it's only, there's no batons. You're not handing the baton off to a substitute or you're getting someone off the bench. It's you. And it exposes you 100% out there. And so when you're exposed like that, you have better have some inner belief. I mean, we're talking like I'm the best athlete out here at this moment and I'm not losing. And that's what, you know, whether or not, you know, it's in reality or you're passing judgment from the stands or whatever, that's internally what you have to have inside your heart when you go out there because it's just you and another fellow you know playing for a championship or or, or a title and and then you got to put it on the line that self it comes into the part of the equation i call it piece of the puzzle you have to have the pieces of the puzzle together you know to be great so in, in a All way pieces. in a way that rudeness that yevgeny kovalnikov had in him might have been a benefit because he he didn't give a toss who he upset exactly no, you have to have that. We can go down to the history of uh, uh, most of the great ones. I mean, some are nicer than other, others, you know, but they have that element, David. The great ones, it's almost tunnel vision. And it's like, no, 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 no. I've worked harder than this guy. I've, I, I'm better than this guy. 
I'm here. I've won six rounds. I'm in the seventh round. It's best of five. There's no way I'm losing. And so maybe, you know, with Marcelo, he didn't like that type of uh, pressure. Um, and cause he, you know, like in the finals of Australia, he didn't even try in my opinion. That was, that was, it was, it was almost embarrassing that, that when he got to the finals of his one and only slam. Um, and he didn't take that pressure on, um, in, in the way that the great ones do. Um, and so like Yevgeny, maybe he was a, people call him, oh, he's simpleton. Well, he came from out nowhere, Sochi and he, he everything he did, he earned. Okay. And so he did it with the hard mile, I call it. And so when you go up that way, um, you do, you get tough. And, um, and, 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 and there is a huge self-belief factor, but he also had tremendous footwork, tremendous fundamentals. He took the ball early and he was six, three, um, you know, and he, and he could move and he could, he, he played the whole court. Yeah. And, and I think that's where doubles helped him. He played, you know, he could end end the point at the net. Um, which, which, which a lot of guys can't do nowadays. Um, and I think really hurts them, but, um, you're right. Yevi, Yevi had that element. Um, and they kind of called him simpleton, but boy, does that help when you're, when you're out there, uh, by yourself, you know, four all in the fifth. I, I knowing you've got to get it done yeah, i mean yeah. looking at looking at all these guys you coached and and they all seem to have many of them at least the, the best time of their careers un, under your tutelage now i know tim got Thanks. to number four in the world yep i know he also had a, a pretty serious shoulder injury towards the end of your time together and he had a surgery but of, of all the players it, is there any feeling of regret that it that he didn't maybe do what you set out to do together as, as a team? No, I mean, not for me. I mean, I know he probably does as a coach. No, he, he put in all the, he put in the hard mile. He did everything you possibly do, uh, David. Um, and, and you got to look at it as a body of work when it's all done and said, did I do everything I could? I think, I think he did. He did. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know he, he sits back, um, and probably regrets because his one goal in life when he was eight years old is to win Wimbledon. They have pictures of him and this and that. Uh, but Tim, Tim is, is he, he, you know, for me as a coach, he did everything he could dude. I mean, and, and, and that's all you can do. Everyone has, you know, regrets. Uh, you, every career you can look back, you know, Johnny Mack at the French all the way back in time. Um, he got everything he could out of, out of the game, Tim Henman. I mean, for where, what he had in his toolbox with, the, with, with everything. I, 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 no, I mean, I look back at that and I said, you really couldn't do, you know, you know, much more. I mean, than, than, than what he did. He, he also had the circus of us lot around him in Britain. Yes. And yes, obviously, you know, he was at that time, there hadn't been an Andy Murray and we, you know, he was trying to do something that nobody had done for 80 years. And, yeah. and then along comes, Andy Murray. Now, that's right. I, I seem to remember that you were one of the first people that was approached to coach Andy Murray, and and actually yes. maybe I actually read that that uh, that you were approached a couple of times um, yes. over over the course of a long period of time between the two. Yes. But why why didn't you take that opportunity? Well, first of all, I really enjoy Andy Murray's company. He's one of the most funny, uh, fun guys in the locker room I've ever been around. He's got the driest sense of humor. And he doesn't really laugh at his own jokes. I love guys like that. And most of the guys in the locker room are, are, are probably too unaware to even pick up that the guy's making a joke. And so he's hilarious to me. Um, but, and I respect him as a competitor. 
And he had the, uh, the FU mentality when it came to like winning events. He, he, he's a great competitor. Um, he loved, he can play defense all, when he's at it, when he's at his right best, um, Murray, um, I knew they approached me when he was in the six, like 68. Um, I decided to go with Fernando Gonzalez, uh, for multiple reasons. Um, it would, I didn't want to take on that challenge at that time because it was, a, it was another Marcelo Rios. There's a lot of baggage that goes along with uh, Andy Murray. Uh, but like I told, you know, when you say baggage, uh, what do you mean? There's just a lot of, there's just a lot of things that entails, you know, when you, you take a young kid, um, they came with him and Monfils came up together. They were always battling throughout the juniors and, and, uh, you know, I just knew it was going to be another Marcelo Rios in the sense of raising another kid. Okay. He's 18 years old. Marcelo was 18. Okay. And so I have three boys. I know what it's like. It's just not hitting tennis balls, going out and disconnecting and say, okay, good luck tomorrow. No, 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 no. This is, it becomes your life. You're with someone 40 weeks a year. And, and, and I was, it's, it's a long, long road. At that stage of my life, I really wasn't ready to take that on. Um, I went with the 25 year old Fernando who was ranked like 20 in the world, 25, whatever he was with uh, a huge forehand, um, but not really having, you know, and a good serve and moved well, but not, not really having any, you know, backhand side. So I made that choice. I don't regret it at all. Um, it was just a kind of situation at that time where, um, I wasn't ready to, um, to, uh, do, do that, that whole 40, it, it, it becomes a 40 week a year job, David. And, uh, and, and your family has to take a backseat and I wasn't really ready to take that on, but I did say, that your son's going to be top 10 easy. Um, I to talked to, to his Judy. dad. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I talked to his dad. Actually, believe it or not, a lot of the people don't, uh, hadn't even ever, still to this day, haven't seen Andy's dad. I was in Hotel California in Paris, and he came up and asked me that exact question you just said. Why, I mean, why would you go with uh, Gonzalez instead of my son? And I told him. I just said, uh, I, I listed a multiple, I, I, whenever I do a thing, it takes me a long time to decide, David. It usually takes a month or two. I wrote pro, pros and cons on both sides and what it entails, what kind of commitment, all, you know, the fee, everything. I, I put it all down on paper. And those two, I would have two different pieces of paper with uh, both Andy and Gonzalez. And I formulated that, you know, my, where I am right now in my life, that's how I kind of do it. Uh, and I went with the, the other, but it was with his dad. I said, your son's top 10 right now. And he's 60 and 68 in the world. And, um, and like the Marcelo, when I started 120, I said, this kid, this kid's so good. He's, he goes, do you, and his dad said, do you think he'll get to the top 10? I said, yes. And, 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 but that his dad, you know, was kind of a, a guy that really couldn't see, um, past his nose in the big picture of things. And so, um, uh, that's that's uh, that would that, that's not Andy's dad. That's Marcelo's dad. But uh, Andy's dad's the greatest guy ever. We sat in the Hotel California in Paris and for two hours, and never saw him ever again. It was almost like it was like a blip in my life. It was like a page book in my life, and he disappeared. I go, I've never seen you. He came up to me in the lobby. I was sitting there reading a newspaper, and he goes, "Are you?" Larry? I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You want to go and have a glass of wine in the bar?" I said, "Absolutely." And we sat there for two hours. And we talked about life and him. And he goes, I said, I've never seen you. He goes, never been around. I went, 
And we said, and he 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 was hilarious. I've spoken to him once. Guy. I think I spoke to him once after Andy won Wimbledon for the first time, and that that's it. Did he go I did, to it? I did a little interview with him. Yeah, he was in the box, and I interviewed him Beautiful. for a few minutes afterwards. And uh, he was yeah. he was really charming, really really nice. Great Obviously, guy. thrilled, but but sort of kind of understated thrilled. You know, he was. I was thinking, you know. You, I was saying he was saying what a great moment this is for everybody and I said yeah I know it's your son and he says I know yeah. it's, it's good isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that's what he was like that's where I think he gets that humor that humor is hilarious and he just sits there and I'm just laughing because this guy made me laugh Andy Murray makes me laugh I mean certain guys you know um, um, kind of uh, hit my funny bone that guy that I only spent two hours of my life never saw him again never even seen a picture in fact if he walked in front of me Right now, I don't think I could identify him because it was so long ago, um, and I only had two hours in that dark bar. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd even recognize that. But I had a great experience. It was one. I, I cherish that moment because he's so uh, understated and uh, never really comes around. But he's so proud of his son. Yeah. In in, in his own way, which was great. And and then I, if I'm right in saying after Andy split with Ivan Lendl, we you were approached again. Is that correct? there's all you know david i i mean you know i also coached maria sharapova i mean i it's like you know i never did but i mean it's like everyone's always saying you know this and that there's always you know i get approached all the time with a lot of people um it has to be the right chemistry it has to be the right situation um because it's a huge commitment i just know my personality um and um, I get I get approached a lot from a lot of people, but it has to be the right chemistry, because the commitment for me is is too great, and I I, I push hard, and that's why a lot of people really don't approach, because um, when you think you're 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 good, um, my standards a little bit higher than most of the most of the kids um, that are out there now, um, and what I what I kind of think is important. So um, yeah, but you know. I just, it wasn't the right, whenever I get approached, I look at it and go, no, it's not, the, it's not, that's not going to work because usually there's, um, re, I, I want to know reasons. I usually ask a lot of questions and, um, and if, if the, if the answers are not really, you know, aren't mutually kind of agreed upon, then nothing's ever good going to happen, but they kind of have to originate, you know the process I, I would imagine high. i would imagine larry that the the run you had with gonzalez must have been yeah. particularly satisfying i mean i, I will it never was. forget that run to the australian open i'm looking at the people he beat del potro yeah. hewitt blake yeah. nadal tommy haas i remember him when he beat nadal yeah. he, he knocked him off the court he had he blew he him had, off the court he had single digit unforced errors against tommy that's haas right. and that's right I I just wondered though. I mean, you say you you had the work to do on his backhand side because the four. Yeah. I mean, the, the people have been running a, a top ten Gonzalez yeah. forehands on 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 YouTube recently, and I mean, yeah. you just sit there even now, yeah. ten years on, open mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. How what what was he like to work with? Fernando and I are dear friends. We're still very very close. We talk all the time, like Evgeny and I talk all the time, and um, he's a great human being we'll throw the tennis out the door but you know he 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 was a hard worker um he had to be pushed a little bit he wasn't a self-motivated worker he wouldn't wake out of the uh, you know out of bed in the morning like erotic um or yet and want to put in the hard mile but when you said we're gonna go out there and we're gonna play hitting backhands for five hours today let's go 
he would be right there, but he wouldn't kind of originate that. Um, he was, he was very fun to work with because he never, he never dogged it, but you know, it got to, you know, a point where his forehand, I, 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 I still say, you know, top three of all time. I mean, I can, you know, Lendl, I know Nadal doesn't like they ever hear it. Cause I said that one time the press, he said, Larry, who I said, well, listen, dude, I've been around with a lot of great forehands from Lendl, Pancho Segura. Gonzo, what he could do with the ball in space, meaning if it's a dead ball hanging in open space, a fastball or a low ball, I've never seen guy a guy control it with the velocity and spin that he could do. And and that, that he said I could do that when I was nine, eight, nine years old, Larry. He said I was born with that. I said, wow, you're never gonna because one of the first six weeks with him, I'd say, dude, you're you're trying high risk shots, but David, after six weeks, he kept pulling them off. Finally, after six weeks, okay, after this, I told him, I said, I'm never going to say one thing about where you can and can't go with that forehand, especially inline to inline, because it's a high, high risk bowling ball shot. And Fernando could pull that off. But he said, I could do that when I was eight. It's like Roddick surf. You know, he goes, I can hit the corner when I want to hit the corner. And I, so you don't mess with success. Lendl was like that with his forehand. He could hit a dime. Segura could do that too with his forehand. And so when you get guys that have a gift like that, um, it's pretty special. And, um, but Fernando as a person, uh, as a human being, and, and, and he's a giving guy. He, he's not about Fernando. He, he's a very, very uh, loyal, uh, generous guy. And that's why we've been, you know, as a person, I mean, the guy's a great guy, phenomenal guy. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. 
Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. And then you went on to... I imagine you are still in touch with Andy Roddick as well, because I mean you yes. you seemed very close when, yes. when when you were together as as human beings as well as coach and player. I mean Andy and I, yeah, we got a lot of water under the bridge. Put it that way. I, I remember when when you when I first saw you uh, after you'd started working with him, it would have been the two thousand and nine Australian Open, and I remember you walking past in a in a corridor and you said, "Have you seen him?" yet in melbourne i said no i haven't and he said wait until you see him because he's lost a lot of weight and i remember you that that was that appeared to be part of your strategy from almost from day one what 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 are your your memories of that well when i first started with uh, andrew um you know he was very big um, and we talked on the phone a few times it took me a while kenny myerson was still alive which who was his his agent and we had known each other since uh, 1980, um, and uh, we had a long track record together. And you know, he knew my track record as well. And Andy's not the easiest guy um, to coach as well. Um, Why is very, that? Uh, very opinionated, very set in his ways. Um, he he had a certain way he wanted to to, to go about. Um, doing things, but he wasn't really looking at things that kind of broke down um, and why he couldn't sustain playing at, at a high level because he had a lot of holes in his game, whether or not the return of serve and his backhand side was not very good. Um, his volley, you know, his backhand volley was excellent, but his movement, um, I kind of used him as a model with Pancho Gonzalez and Pancho Gonzalez was Six three, six four, and a buck ninety. So when I asked Andy the first day on the phone, "What do you weigh?" and he goes, "Why do you want to know?" That was Andy's response. Why do you want to know? That's Andy Roddick <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah. Every time I'd say something, he would retort with a with with with, with another question. Okay. So our whole career, Johnny Mack was a little bit like that. Yes. I said because you look a little big. He goes, "I weigh two fifteen. I said, "What?" There's no way. He goes, I just won Cincinnati. I said, you can take Cincinnati and shove it. You want to win a slam? There's no way you can play, win a slam at 215, seven rounds, best of five in Australia. I got news for you. And that's what we kind of, our relationship kind of went from there. And then I said, you're the best server I've ever seen. And that resonated with him. So that's the way, I'm, I'm very honest when I kind of, you know, do these kind of things with players. Um, I like to see if they look in the mirror. And Andy... Andy sometimes has a hard time looking in the mirror because, you know, he's so micro-focused um, and, he's, and he's, you know, driven that way to succeed. But sometimes you've got to make some changes um, to improve, to look, you know, not just in front of your nose like the match you played today, but, you know, developing a return of serve, developing a backhand that can, you can hit it cross court 50 times in a row or 40 times in a row and picking your feet up. Okay, and so those are the kinds he didn't really recognize, but um, he's 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 a guy that he's ultimate workhorse. This guy, and um, he put in a lot of you know uh, time to improve, and I and I he really improved, dude. I mean, this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, has gotten better and better in my opinion over the you know the four and a half years that we were together, 
and um, until he retired. And I think, you know, he retired at 30, which is very, very young. And um, so, you know, but Andy, Andy um, was always questioning. And on the first day we even started together, I said, so I told myself I flew in. Andy and I hadn't spent any time together. Remember that. I mean, we talked on the phone a bunch of times, but I didn't spend any time in this company. So I flew to Austin. He's just going out with Brooke. They weren't married. Picked up the airport. We go on the first day of court. I said, I'm not going to say one thing. Okay. And I, as is in, in this interview, you know, um, I have time not saying anything. Um, and after an hour, um, I couldn't help myself. I, and we started talking about his backhand. And he said to me, you better know what the hell you're talking about. If you want to start changing strokes on, I said, let me tell you one thing. That's not going to work. What you're doing right there. Cause I mean, I've been around a lot of great backhands from the Kafel and the cost, a lot of certain things with footwork and think preparation you have to do on your backhand that two handers do. And he didn't do. And he said, I, I said, what do you think about? He said, I just see ball hit ball. And my response was, what are you a caveman? I said, that's not how you go about having something that repeats. Okay, you, you got to think about picking your feet up, getting over to a spot, and being able to get behind the ball to, to redirect it. Now, if you just lunge and slap and flap, and but that, that was our first meeting. And I, I said to myself, uh-oh, we're going to have a problem here. But Andy, Andy's one of these guys, he, he, he says something he might not like to hear, but he will implement because he knows he's going to get better. After he hears it, he may not want to hear it. So you can't be scared to say it without being, you know, something like it's going to affect your relationship or your job or whatever it is. He's one of these kind of guys like Johnny Mac uh, may not like to hear the, the truth. But when he hears it, 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 it opens him up. And then then he goes, then he goes to work. This guy, I mean, I would say do that. And after we got some trust factor in after a few weeks, he he he. <laughs> Every day he would say, okay, what do we, give me two things to focus on today, Larry. I don't want a bunch of, you know, mumbo jumbo. Two things. Okay, get your left foot over there on the back end. Pick it up. Pick it up. That has to move left. Okay, whatever it might be. Okay, on the volley, whatever it might. And he would say, okay, great. That's all I'm going to think about today in the practice session. And he, he practiced five hours a day, dude. I mean, this guy was, you know, three hours of running in the morning of doing drills, the track, and then come back and play two or three sets in the afternoon. I mean, he he didn't leave anything to chance. And that's why I re really admire his career because he squeezed everything out of it. And obviously, he I remember at that Australian Open, he he beat yeah. Novak Djokovic before yes. Djokovic really became Djokovic. But he yeah. kind of ground him down, didn't he, in the heat and, and all that sort of thing. And, and then there was, I think he got a heavy... I can't remember. I think he got a no. He got a three close sets or four close sets defeat against Federer, didn't he, at the Australian yes. Open? Yes. Um, and then you, you worked and you worked and you worked and you got to Wimbledon and Andy beat Andy Murray in the in four sets in in the semi-finals. Which I remembered. He I, also I, beat Hewitt. Yeah. He also beat Burdich. Wow. Yeah, it's easy he to also, get these things. He also beat Coltrane. I mean, he had the toughest draw. You go back and look at that draw. And you see who he beat? I'm looking at that draw before before he beat Murray and then end up losing to Fetter. But you look at that draw and who he beat, David? Phenomenal. I, I looked at that draw and holy crap, he's got the t toughest draw by landslide of guys that can actually play on grass. And um, it was impressive what he did. Okay. And in and, and, and that final, 
He outplayed Federer, in my opinion. Federer outserved him. The only time Andy ever got outserved was in the finals of, of Wimbledon, if you go back yeah, and look at it. Hit a massively high first serve percentage. 51, I think it was. And, uh, yeah, and Andy had like 34 or something like that. Aces and then he had 11 yeah. against Del Portro in, 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 the, in the US Open final that he kind of rolled over in the fifth, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, and, that, and, that, that Delpo won. So that was Federer pretty much at his best, really, in, in yes. that final. And, yes. And Roddick, 16-14 in the yes. fifth. There's that volley in the tiebreak that I suspect, if Andy ever dares to think about it, would haunt him. Um, but No, but that, but people, you know, people always say that, dude. I was on the baseline for that ball. He was letting that ball go. I knew he was letting that ball go. If you're on the practice session with this guy five hours a day for three years, he was a, he was hitting downwind. The ball got up on the backhand side. He had his racket. His backhand volley is excellent. Andy Roddick's. Okay, we're not talking about the forehand volley. We're talking the backhand volley. He used to have a one-handed backhand, believe it or not, until he was 13 years old. So he knew how to volley on the backhand side. He had uh, he has unbelievable touch with the even, you know, dipping balls, just bunting balls with the slice on the backhand side. He had the thing laid back. The last second, the wind caught it, and he said, oh, my God, that's going in, and he snatched at it, okay? And he hit it in the front row, practically wide cross court, and people go, oh, my God, his volley sucks. And I said, that is such a – are you watching really what's happening? He, and then afterwards, I said, dude, you don't even have to explain to me. I knew you were letting that ball go, and at the last second, the wind and those balls, those slashing balls, and I, and I was right on the baseline, and I saw it coming down. I go, oh, my God, don't let that thing go. And the last second, he he – what do you, you know, if you can look at anything hindsight, he said, I should have decided to just either let it go or play it. And I didn't do either. And I, and I said, I know. And then it cost him in hindsight. People think that's lost in the match. I think that's garbage to a certain degree. I, I think he wish he could have replayed it and committed to what he wanted to do with it. But if he let it go, it goes in because I was right on the baseline. That ball goes right on the baseline. Uh, and it's a floater. The thing is a shank. And it's like floating. He goes, I'm letting that go, and his racket's way behind him. So, you know, and, and everyone always says, oh, and I got, I got people calling me all the time. Oh, his volley stink. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. Yeah, that, that's not that, that's, that. You didn't watch really what happened, or you don't know the animal, basically. And actually, so that, I just you, wanted to clarify that. No, you're quite right too. And and if you watch that that match back, it, I mean, I I, yes. I remember commentating on it, and and just certainly in the semifinal against Murray, I felt that that was the best oh match God. I'd ever seen Roddick play. Um, yes, I, I'm sure he's played better ones, but that just yes. from my my untrained eye, that's that's how it felt to me. And then in the final, he just kept on bringing it, didn't he? I yes. Mean, it was, what what is it like for you in the the coaching box? Because I mean that is a long time to be sitting there, and you're you are oh, powerless. Yeah. You are. You just you know you've done all the hard work. The only thing you can see, I remember uh, Borg was in the front row of the you know the Royal Block. You know, we're good. We're friends. We're good friends. And he kept looking over and giving me the eye. And, in the, and, and if you know Bjorn, he's like a little bit like Andy Murray in the sense he's very dry. He doesn't say anything. You just look in his eye and he gives you this little wink. And I, I'm laughing because he who better to know what it's like to be in a final at Wimbledon winning five in a row and knowing the, you know, and I played two years of team tennis with the L.A. Strings when I was a player coach. After, you know, he came back when he was 36 years old. So we have a long track record to get together, Bjorn and I. So, that you know, certain things that I think back at, they're really humorous to me. Um, but you're powerless up there. And I'll tell you, 
you hit it right on the head. He was phenomenal against Murray, and he continued it all the way through Fetter. And that's why I say he outplayed him as a tennis player there, but Fetter outserved him there. And 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 that's what was a little bit of a difference. Okay, in that in the in the final tally of things, um, no one outserves Andy. Okay, I, I I that I'd ever that's the only match I can even even think of, David. That were if somebody actually, and he's not even known as a server, but he's a great server because he can hit his spots. And he, and he never really tips over 125. He's not the 145, 150 fastball guy. He just, he can hit his spots and he was in a total groove. Uh, but if you look at that fifth set, he had more opportunities in my mind. I mean, I think back at it, but um, it, it, I felt like it was the, the draw that he had, what he had accomplished and everything. I said, this is the pinnacle. And, and, I, and I kept saying, this is what it's all about. Just finish this thing off. And this is what it's all about. This was his lifelong dream. Okay, and it didn't work out, but that's that's tennis, like we talk about. That's the cruelty of sports, but you got to be able to, you know, to deal with it, manage it, and get on with it. Did Did you uh, think he'd got it, Larry? Did you think he the way it was going? Did you think he was going to end up winning that? Yes. Even after that volley, I thought I thought the mojo and uh, the way it was going and headed, I thought it was um, it was um, kind of destiny. I I really felt that. And it was, that's why it's kind of like an ice pick in the eyeball, you know, when it didn't work out, uh, according to plan, because, uh, he worked so hard, but you know, that, like I said, it's the cruelty of, uh, an individual sport. You know, you can't have everything, you know, you talk about Andy's, everyone has one Henman, you, you, you look at, you look at him, you look at all the way through time. Um, but that was obviously, you know, Andy's dream as well, you know, as Henman's is to win Wimbledon. He'd been to the finals a couple of times before that. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, playing the, probably one of the best grass court players of all time. Um, and, uh, you know, it would have been icing on the cake, but it didn't work out. And that's, all, and you, that's, that's the cruelty of it. I, that's all the only thing I can say. Yeah. Well, it, it, I've spoke, I've had him on the show here with me a couple of times and he, he said, he's explained to me what it was like in the aftermath to that and the days yeah. that he would sort of run, run over it in his mind while he was yeah. lying down, you know, and, and then I think he said he played his first tournament back. He, he just had the most incredible reaction from the, the people, um, yes. which, which I think really showed him how much, how much he'd, he'd kind of meant to everybody really That's in, right. in, in that final. And they respect him. For, you know, how, you know, because, you know, it's not like you're watching an artist play when you watch, you know, Andy Roddick. You have to respect his competitiveness, his preparation. He was the work. He was a blue collar guy. You know, he's a guy that everyone can get the public parks can really say, I this is what it's all about. This guy's not pretty, but he's going to get it. he's like a bulldozer. I used to call him turbo diesel because it takes him a little while to get going. OK, and once he gets going. You know, he's driven and I mean people respect that. And, and and there's no crying and there's no hoopla with Andy. He's a very, very bright, smart um individual. Uh, that one was a very, very tough one to get over though, David, even with all the adulations. Um, because that's why that's why you do the hard mile. And that's why you're out there when people aren't around, you know, doing five hours a day. Yeah. Um yeah. and that and that because he wanted to be great. He wanted to win majors. He didn't want to just be a participant. I'm happy to be where I'm at. No, we both, that's why he had a very tight knit group. We were there to win tournaments. We weren't there to be a participant and happy we're in Wimbledon. It could have been in, 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 in podunk nowhere land, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, and he wanted to win. Andy likes winning titles. He likes winning, and so that's what we're there for. And and um, I admire that. And that's why I I love coaching guys like that because you're coaching for a purpose, not coaching for a job. You're coaching to win titles, and that's why you know that's what that's what you know really sparks me um, when an individual is like that. Yeah. Uh, Larry, my, my hour is up that I asked you for. I've got three more questions. Jeez, we're have you done got, already? Have, I did all the talking. <laughs> have you got time for three more questions? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first one of them is you, you say that that's what gets you going as a coach is somebody who's, who's, who's got a plan, who wants to, to yes. achieve. Is there, is there an assignment out there that would bring you back? Because you say you've been approached a number of times. I mean, you, yep. you, you're in your early 60s, but could you imagine coming back for one for one more? I never say never, David. And I've always been available. People always said, oh, you're this, you're that, you're too old. You're... I mean, I've got as much energy now as I did, you know, five years ago, six years ago when I left Andrew. Um it has to be the right chemistry. Um, I might, you know, believe it or not, I like what I see a lot on the on the women's side of the tour. Um, and people say, "Oh, you've never." Uh, I have five sisters. Okay, so I, I mean, I've been around females forever, and I do coach three little junior females here in San Diego. So I don't even deal with the boys right now because they're too lazy in the, at the junior level for me. The girls seem to want it. They, they, they're just really competitive. They'll run through the wall for you. I don't know what it is nowadays, but, I mean, it, 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 it is enlightened me. So, you know, I'm not totally against someone on the female side. I mean, I like guy, girls like Kerber. Uh, she won Eastbourne when Andy won Eastbourne the last year we were together before Wimbledon. Um, and she's a great athlete, great competitor with no hoopla. I mean, I think she 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 should be – not be losing these for I don't know what's going on with her. Um, he wins set six zero and then loses match. I don't I don't I don't get it uh, myself. But um, you know, someone like that that ha- would have to be not into the hoopla of uh, things and more into the competition of winning uh, titles. Uh, that's what that's what gets me going. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I but like you just said, uh, yeah, I, I could I could see myself. I'm very competitive. I love this game. I think it is just the, you know, purest because it's an individual. You get out what you put in, and that's what I love about this game. Um, but it has to be. It has to be. You have to be kind of on the same page. Otherwise, I'm doing all the. And that's why it was fun with Andy because I mean he wanted it more than I did. But when I want it, the coach wants it more than the, the than than the player. Then it, then it gets out of whack and it doesn't work right. That's why it takes me a long time to like to commit to someone, David. And I haven't really heard I've, I've talked to a lot of people i mean i'm not gonna n- mention name but we're talking top 15 people but every time i talk to them they say tell me what i should do tell you what you should do no you tell me what you want to do <laughs> and they, they never give me the right answers and when i ask questions they you tell me what to do i'll do it no 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 you're a pro dude okay you've been out there eight years or six years or f- whatever the year what do you want to accomplish how do you think you can get there What's holding you back? You know, and if you can't look in the mirror and give me you know, some sort of answers, well, because I'm very, I can observe, I, I know exactly what I would do if I were you, but I need to hear it from you, not from me, because otherwise I'm not playing. My playing days are long gone. It's you. You're the player. How do you want to go about making changes? How much? What do you want to do to get yourself better? But that's how I go about coaching. But it's not done that way 
You know, they, they, they done with, you know, a lot of different areas. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of, a lot of influences pulling a lot of these players in different directions, but the real, when you get down to the brass tacks of things, results don't lie. And that's what I even, even my, even my track record, I say, listen, I've been pretty fairly successful at doing this, you know, for a lot of years. And it's usually done by a track record. Some of these people I look at and go, holy moly, you know, I mean, so I, it's just kind of, I think it's a little bit out of whack a little bit. You know, I don't know if they just want to be part of the scene or whatever it is. I like going to tournaments and winning. I don't like going there to just hang in the player's lounge and hang and be part of the scene. So that's a, that's an old school type of mentality. And it's how I've always been. And I don't know, but I, I could come out of retirement if someone, you know, really tweaked my interests. I, I could definitely do it. And uh, you mentioned you could ima- imagine yourself perhaps coaching on the WTA tour. You also talked about yes. how uh, in that match against Federer, four and a half, five hours, how powerless yes. you feel. If you worked yes. on the WTA tour, you wouldn't necessarily be powerless because you can come on court and do on court coaching. What is your view of on court coaching as an That's idea? one of your three questions. You have to throw that one in, yes. in there, that little caveat. Yeah. Um, Let's hear I'm not it. a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of it. I just watched for the first time. I, I almost fell out of my chair um, watching the San Jose um, um, pfft, women's WTA event. I don't watch. Um, uh, well, I do watch tennis a lot without any sound. I, I can't watch the sound because it's all about selling. They're not telling me what I, 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 I what's going on. I, I'm watching it and they're telling me something totally opposite. So I don't really listen to commentating. Um, so I do watch a lot of tennis. So they had the kid come out, um, out in the court and it was, a, it was an absolute disaster. Okay. And, and I said, that is not what, what tennis is all about. I felt like I was in the uh, girls 12s. Okay. I coach girls that are 13, 12 and 14. And if they, if that, if that, they acted like that, I would, I, I would, I would say, okay, time to go home, get your head on straight and then come back when you really want to be a competitor. Okay, so I don't think coaching that part of the element of the game of tennis is figuring something out when you're in the heat of the moment. Okay, and that takes experience. That takes a lot of time. I don't need my mom or dad or coach coming out there and telling me exactly what I just experienced. You're just putting gasoline on the fire. They say it's great entertainment. I think it's garbage. And I don't think it's part of the I think it would be like having a chess game. And then having your coach, yeah, oh, that's a wrong move. What are you moving that knight for? Don't, no, move the pawn. What, no, no, do the knight. It's like, wait a second. No, let me figure it out. That's an integral part of the game at the moment when I'm playing so that I can have a, you know, a, a relaxed mind, figure things out, make an adjustment. This game is all about making adjustments. If you keep doing the same thing and getting a bad result, what's that telling you? Why don't you do something different? Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you one quick story about that. Andy Roddick playing Nadal in the semifinals of Miami when he beat Burdich in the finals. Andy won the tournament after losing to Lubacic the week before in Indian Wells. He plays the best set at an hour and two minutes against Nadal. Loses 6-4. He looks up at me and says, Larry, I just played the best set I've ever played from the backcourt. I said, yeah, what's that telling you, rocket scientist? What do you do? He cha- I, that's all I said. He served in volley the next two sets, won three and three, and won the tournament. 
So he was smart enough to make an adjustment. Okay, but you know, if you look, if you look at these guys going on the court, and because I mean, I think it's, I think it's really, really bad for the game, and I think you're taking a major part of the game away from figuring things out while you're playing, and that's just all. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe I, then I'm old school. But I think it's not entertainment. Um, he's an athlete. Figure it out. Get on the business, and then in the practice sessions. Okay, and when you play sets, that's when you have time to stop play, which I still do in juniors. What are you thinking here? Why would you keep making that same play when you're 0-17 doing it, and you keep doing it? So that's where you have to make headway is in the practice sessions, not while it's going on in the heat of the battle. Um, so that's just my opinion, David, on that on that subject. That's fair enough. Fair enough. My final yeah. question is here, Larry, <laughs> and uh, it is: I mean, obviously, you've coached now against Federer. You mentioned Nadal. You've coached against Djokovic. They are now within yep. two Grand Slams of each other. Federer on twenty, Nadal on eighteen, Djokovic yes. on sixteen. Yes. Who do you regard as the greatest? Where do you think they will finish in terms of Grand Slam total? Well, one other thing, we I want to jump back a little bit. Um, Roddick beat Djokovic five times in a row when I was with him before um, Djokovic went on his run. So Andy had a very, very good record against Djokovic. He defaulted a few times in that because he just, you know, every time it got down to where he would like get into a uh, dogfight because Andy wants to bring it to a dogfight. Okay. And, and so he had a very, very good uh, record against Joker um, until it kind of like blew apart. Uh, um, actually, when he when he lost to him in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, then he beat him five times in a row. After that, there was a, there was there was something that kind of clicked with Andy and and didn't do very well with Joker. But I'm going to make a prediction right now. Joker is going to have the most slams. And with the end game, if you're asking me who's going to be the one, I think Rafa can still win on the clay. I think he can win. Um, that tournament a couple more times, believe it or not. But I think he's going to struggle when it gets best of five on a hard surface and on the grass. Um, Roger, um, you know, he's there, the, you know, uh, you know, he's still, he's still kicking and, and, and playing at the top three level. So there's no reason why he can't win one or two more as well. But Joker's a lot younger. What is Joker? 32? Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, it must be, pretty extraordinary for you having seen and coached against Djokovic and seen Andy Roddick yeah. outlast him and grind him into yeah. the ground and to see it. what he's be- <laughs> to see what he's become I mean yeah is that a surprise yeah, no, no, to you no 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 he's yeah and, and, and the thing that holds um, Joker back if anything is between his ears I mean I'm not kidding I'm, I just think he's he it, it, the only thing that seems to hold him back is maybe that 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 thing that Yevi had that belief factor or Borg or or you know I mean th- I, there's no way I'm losing I mean I'm just going to run this guy into the ground and I'm not he he sometimes presses the panic button when there's no need to be pressing the panic button when he's got 18 slams how many slams does he have 16 16 okay you got 16 18 and 20 is that how it goes or 21 correct yeah 20 yeah so I mean so. Yeah, and he's so much younger than these guys. If he if he doesn't let his mind get in the way, and that's how he took that hiatus for a year and a half. Otherwise, he would. I mean, he took like a vacation. Okay, now he's back, but he's still. Let me tell you, when you have that ability to, to, to have that switch, that maybe your 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 mind can get in the, in the way. 
that's not a good thing in tennis. You know, you, you start thinking, okay, I'm an intellectual, I'm going to do whatever it is. I'm a philosopher. I'm, I'm whatever that can be very dangerous. Okay. I'm a politician. I mean, I don't, whatever it is. No, 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 no. You're a tennis player. Okay. That's what you're trained to do. Stick to the tennis. Okay. And, and, and try to get your mind free and, and, and get into a very, very good space. That's why I think, uh, um, Vida is good for him because he's been with him the longest. He knows what makes him tick. He's lucky he went back to that. Okay. Because the game is very simple. It's played in a stinking rectangular box. It's been the same dimensions for 150 years. Okay. When you start trying to make it bigger than what it really is. Okay. That lends to having some difficulty on the court. Cause I, I, I always kind of put it as a puzzle. Um, and I don't see any reason. Joker's just too young and, and, and too good for, um, him not to catch those two, uh, two other guys. Those other guys are going to hang around because they're so, you know, competitive. Like I'm not letting Joker, with, but <sighs> unless some guy steps up and I don't see anybody, young guy stepping up into that arena. Um, hopefully Murray, you know, can, you know, that hip, that metal hip that he put in there, but I don't, I, I just don't see it. And I really like Andy a lot, um, to get in that top four echelon again. Um, he can be a player out there, but seven rounds, best of five, David, um, he's the only guy I can see that can play day in and day out at that level with those guys. Cause I, I know the beast, so to speak, Andy, uh, Murray, um, but his body, I just don't think is going to allow him to, to be able to do that. I just, I just don't see it. But maybe I'd be wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do, because I, I, I think he's a, another caveat in that whole um, formula. But if you're asking me which one, it's, it's it's fun to see. But I'm getting a little tired of the old guys always being around at the end. I'd like, I want to see some of these young guys step up. I mean, it irritates me. I mean, and they're and these guys are gifted. They're great athletes, but they're just not. That discipline and that training say, very what, well. What are, what are they doing wrong? They're not. You, you, it's it's like Yevgeny. You know what you're going to get every time they go out on the court. You know that's that's the thing about these young guys. You don't know what you're going to get. So I mean, when I when I hear when I when I see guys, I watch them real close. Every single one, the next gen, every single one, and and none. One day they're this way, the next day they're that way. One day they're this way, the next way they're that way. And it's like. Oh my God, are we on a roller coaster ride? I mean, how can you be so good one day and so bad the next? So the consistency, the discipline, the ability to execute balls under pressure, David, they love free balling, but that's not reality playing big time tennis. Big time tennis is when you can win when you're not at your best and you get the job done, even if it's like Andy says, Larry, you're going to be sitting here. For five hours, like you just said, and it's going to look ugly, but there's no way I'm losing today. I'll guarantee you, I'll, even if it goes six all in the fifth, I'm going to come out and I'm going to win. It's a different mentality. They don't have the right mentality. And I think Becker, he was the first guy, Boris Becker, about two months ago said, these guys, these young guys don't know what it's what it takes to be a great player. They think it's about ball striking. Andy and I used to talk all the time. Guy's just a flashy ball striker. If you hang around with him long enough, he'll go away. And that's what usually happens. And so, so, so some of these guys got to start thinking, okay, how can these 38-year-olds when, – when I first came on the tour, if you were 32, 33, you were a dinosaur. Okay, we laughed at guys like that. And they didn't they, – they would and, – and now these guys are still at top three in the world. I'm thinking, oh, my God, are the young guys even thinking this is like weird? I'm thinking – I'm looking at it going the history of our game, okay – and I mean, there's been some great ones. Rosewall, Connors that played late, Gonzalez, 
I mean, played as long as they could possibly play. And and Roger, but but why is aren't they taking on the challenge? They don't want to put in the work, or they just want to say, "Oh, I'm happy making some sort of money amount." I don't know. I, it kind of bothers me because I think these guys are such gifted athletes, but so undisciplined when it comes. This game really, you know, comes down to being be able to execute under pressure and having some discipline and preparation. You do because it's, it's a repetition game. And so if you put the work in in practice and you have the you know fitness, you can take it to a match um, and, 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 and have success. And it's not going to be automatic, but over time you should be building to something. But I watch a lot of these guys and they're there for a week, go away the next. There for a week, go away, go away the next. And it's like, what is that? That means there's something wrong if they're, if they're that inconsistent. Except you have three guys that are always there every single week. So that's just telling me something's out of whack in the preparation part of it. Yeah, well, I think they need to give you a call, one of these blokes, and uh, and do the best-selling job they've ever done in their life. Um, Larry, we've gone 20 minutes over. I can't thank you okay. enough for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been it. enjoyable, David. I've always <laughs> loved talking to you. I remember that first day in that locker room with Rios. <laughs> I was shaking in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Your face was bright red. Yep. And you looked at me. I said, don't worry, dude. I'll get him. He'll be there in a minute. I think he told you to. F you, get the hell. Yeah. He said something. I something bad. And I That's said, right. oh my God, what are you doing? This guy's brand new. It's his first day. I remember yeah. I went to him. I said, it's his first day and you're making him feel like crap, you know? But uh, I don't like guys feeling like crap. Yeah. I just about got over it. Called my mother. Told me I've told her I've just been cursed at. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> 20, yeah. 20 years later, quick. Uh, I'm, I'm a slightly thicker skinned, gray haired, uh, but still, yes, easily offended. Both. <laughs> Larry, it's been an absolute pleasure. It really has. Thank okay, you so much Dave. for your time. You got it. Cheers. Bye. So there's Larry Stefanke. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's the sort of interview we want to do a lot more of over the coming months and years. And with your help in crowdfunding us in December, we were able to do it. And so, you know, thank you for your support. We really do appreciate it. We're also supported by tennisballs.com, our mascot Rio with a Y. And we're brought to you in association with the Telegraph. We'll be back at the weekend with our US Open preview show and then daily throughout the final Grand Slam tournament of the year. See you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.